you have a Bible and would like to follow along as I read, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 28. We'll begin with verse 3 and read to the end of the chapter. So let's listen to God's inspired, inerrant word together. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went, and two men came with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, namely David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hands of the Phil- hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him and he heeded their voice. 
So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Thus ends the reading of the word of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, we know that in your word you speak very clearly. And I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 1 Samuel 25, verse 1, we read, we were told that Samuel had died. And now in chapter 28, verse 3, uh, the same thing is repeated for us. Uh, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah. In his own city. And so this fact is repeated so the stage could be set so that we understand the backdrop here for Saul's uh, strange conduct. Uh, Verse 3 also informs us that Saul earlier had put out the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. He had forbidden, he had been, he had outlawed uh, their practices. This, of course, is something he was right to do. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 gives us uh, the the standards that God, uh, the prohibition against these things. It says, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. And then Leviticus 20, verse 7 says that such Persons who practice these arts, these dark uh, things, shall surely be put to death. And no, no wonder the woman was afraid when Saul approached her. But uh, we, we see that, that we are told these things uh, so that we can understand the terrible fall. Uh, Saul continued to go down and spiral down and down and down. And now he stoops even uh, to go against his own command to seek, not God, but to seek uh, one who uh, practiced uh, spiritism. So uh, once again, the Philistine armies, they never seem to entirely go away or be finally defeated. They keep coming back. And these armies had gathered together against Israel. Saul gathered uh, the armies of Israel on Mount Geboa. So from there, he could see uh, the Philistine army clearly. He could see the great size and fierceness of their army. And it says he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Here's Saul, the king, the great uh, Saul who was a head taller than everyone else and who was supposed to lead uh, God's armies in battle. But he has this great fear come upon him. And someone has said here that Saul had the kind of fear that gnaws physically and incapacitates a person for action. He was frozen with fear. And certainly he uh, had no clue what to do here. And, and, uh, and remember, uh, Saul had been preoccupied not with doing his duty as a king and keeping tabs on the Philistines and building up the armies of Israel and, and, uh, and taking care of things that he should have been doing. He was running after David and chasing him in the wilderness, trying to take his life. David was his greatest warrior. Remember, he slew Goliath. He, he led in many battles. 
uh, to defeat the Philistines, and uh, and yet Saul was spending his time trying to to kill David and take his life. So uh, when a sizable Philistine army approaches, uh, and he has not been thinking about war, he doesn't have David on his side. He doesn't have the Lord on his side. He was very very afraid. Uh, if Saul had been seeking the Lord's help, uh, there would have been nothing to fear. And Leviticus 26.8 describes what God's people could do, would do, um, if they kept his commands. It says, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Again, the condition is uh, that you are obeying the Lord. But Saul had turned away from the Lord. He had rejected uh, the word. But in his desperation, Saul, now, after a, a long time of not seeking the Lord's word, not listening, decides to inquire of the Lord. Um, and uh, he, it says in verse 6, the Lord didn't answer him. Uh, didn't answer him by dreams, by the Urim, or by the prophets. Now, these were the various ways in which God was communicating in those days. And so God didn't give him a dream. And God didn't speak to him that way. And he didn't have the, the Urim anymore because uh, that was in the possession of the only priest that survived Saul's slaughter of the priests in the town of Nob. And, and the, this priest took the Urim with him and went to David. And there were no prophets for Saul to uh, confer with. Samuel was gone. And other prophets, again, had gone to David. And so Saul wanted direction, but he didn't know what to do or where to turn. He instinctively knew that God would have an answer for him. But God was silent now. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says, when, that those who have turned away from God, it says, when they call on me, I will not answer I will not hear. Uh, there comes a time when God refuses uh, to hear those who continually reject him. But Saul, without hesitation, after not hearing from God in these ways that he uh, would might have heard from him in an earlier day when he wasn't so wicked, without hesitation, he turns to his servants and he says, where can we find a medium, a spiritist, a woman who was a medium? And they quickly told him where one could be found, which is kind of surprising since there were supposed to not be any more around. And how did they know uh, exactly where to find one? Uh, it just tells you, of course, that uh, the law was being subverted. And it tells us here, here is Saul seeking uh, someone who, who is practicing sorcery. Um, he wants a message uh, and some kind of direction. But, you know, when we turn from God, in the end, there's nothing left but Satan. Really, in the end, it's, it's either God or Satan. It's God or the world. And, um, and this is where we find uh, much of the world today. Everyone wants some sort of guidance in life. We have life coaches. We have motivational speakers. We have also lots of uh, spiritual advisors. Uh, you know, Saul can... Consulted with a medium, uh, otherwise known as a witch. We, we, you know, this from the King James is referred to as his encounter with the witch of Endor. Uh, sorcery, necromancy, 
one who consults with the dead. Today, people are looking for fortune tellers, psychics, tarot cards, uh, you know, you name it, astrologers, and so forth. And, and they want guidance, but they don't want to listen to the word of God or heed what it says. Matthew Henry comments, he says, All real or pretended witchcraft or conjuring is an attempt to gain knowledge or help from some creature when it cannot be had from the Lord in the path of duty. And, you know, it's amazing how uh, people today, people you would be surprised to find, are searching out and using these kinds of things uh, to find help in the world but but Saul decides to go and so he disguises himself and he actually has to go far around the backside of the Philistine army he's willing to to risk that uh, to go and meet with this woman uh, the army was kind of between where they were and uh, where the woman was living and so he finds this woman and he says to her please conduct a seance for me you know what that is right um, I remember as a kid, I was I was kind of fascinated with Houdini, and uh, you know his magic, and uh, but there was a dark side to Houdini, and he would go and, and uh, to seances and things, and 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 people would uh, you know try to speak with the dead, um, a very uh, creepy kind of thing. But he says, conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And John Gill says they came by, by night, not only that they might not be seen, but because it was a work of darkness they were going about. And so they come to the woman, and the woman objects. Of course she objects because it's against the law, and she doesn't want to die. And, uh, and, and, and so she wouldn't admit that she practiced sorcery until she could be assured that they weren't going to kill her. Saul said, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Do you see the incongruity of Saul saying, as the Lord lives, I swear, we're not going to kill you because you're a witch. Um, you know, it just is incredible that, that Saul, this is just out of habit. You know, it's just an expression. He's not really thinking about the Lord. But that's all it took. And the woman, uh, you know, asks, all right. As long as you're not going to kill me, who is it that you want me to call up from the dead? And he says, bring Samuel. Bring Samuel. You know, Samuel was there for Saul. Early on, he, he, he did his best to help Saul. And Saul would have been there to advise him every step of the way if Saul had looked to him. And Saul did advise him, but he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. But now he wants to bring Samuel back. Um he didn't seek him when he was alive, but now that he's dead, he wants him. You know, often it is. You know, great people aren't appreciated until after they're dead. Saul realizes, you know, that Samuel really could help him. Well, maybe I can hear from him now, uh, call him back from the dead. But it was in defiance of the word of God, clearly and plainly. Uh, wasn't too smart to think that God would speak to him through something that, that God himself condemned uh, when God had been silent in every other lawful way uh, that he had given Saul. So when the woman saw Samuel, she saw him. Not that not Saul. Saul and the men did not see him, but the woman did. And when she saw him, she cried out with a loud voice. I can imagine this shriek 
coming from this woman, she is utterly shocked to see what she sees. And a lot of questions, of course, arise in our minds at this point. Uh, what is really taking place here? Was this really Samuel that, that came up, uh, you know, back from the dead? Was it an illusion? Was it a trick? Um, personally, I believe it really was Samuel. And um, the woman's surprise at Samuel's appearance, uh, she was very, you know, it was, it was a very unexpected thing that it probably tells me that for the most part, she was just a fake, a fraud. And the real thing happened is she was shocked about it. And so, uh, you know, that says to me that this is probably really uh, Samuel coming. Not that she really had anything to do with it, uh, but Samuel appears nonetheless. And so uh, after rebuking Saul for deceiving her, suddenly she recognizes who he is. Um, and, uh, you know, the king says, describe what you saw. And immediately he understood that she was talking about Samuel. And then another reason, I think, for interpreting this as an actual appearance of Samuel back from the dead is that in verse 15 we have uh, simply the statement. It says, and Samuel said to Saul. So here, again, it says that Samuel spoke. Uh, you know, not a figment uh, or not a pretend Samuel, but Samuel. And, um, and also... Uh, what did Samuel say? He gave him the very same message he had given him when he was alive. And certainly this woman would not have known uh, what that was. And Samuel says, so now Samuel himself is speaking. Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom from you, your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. So now it's clear. Uh, before, the only thing that's different now about what, what Samuel says to Saul is that before he didn't mention the name David. Uh, it was kind of under wraps that David had been anointed, but now he brings it out. The kingdom is torn. He had already told him that, and it's going to be given to a man after God's own heart before. That's all he said, but now he says who that man is. It's David. In addition to prophecy that Saul gave, did come true. And verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me in the place of the dead. So uh, that came true the very next day, as we'll read uh, in the weeks to come. So, again, does this mean that this medium, this woman, calls up Samuel by her own power? No, I don't believe so. And I agree with... Uh, one uh, author who, who writes in his commentary that Samuel was summoned, yet it couldn't have been by the demonic power of the medium that this happened. It was most likely that Samuel came not at the command of the witch, but at the unexpected will of God. No one expected this, but God, in this one time, for this one occasion, uh, in order to confirm his word uh, that he had spoken to Saul earlier, uh, brought him up from the dead to pronounce this final word of judgment upon Saul and his house. And so, again, we ought not to think it out of the realm of, poss of possibility that someone who has died would appear on the earth again. Because we do find in another account in the New Testament, uh, Moses and Elijah, who had been long since dead, 
appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. An entirely different situation, but uh, those who had died appeared and conversed with Jesus on that mountain. Uh, What this does teach us, what these things do teach us, first of all, is that the souls of those who die are not asleep. Uh, When we die, we are very much alive. And those who are believers, the saints of God, of course, dwell with him in glory. And so um, it's probably why Samuel seemed a little bit annoyed when, when he said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? You know, uh, I was in a good place. I was in a better place. And uh, on the other hand, what a terrible thought to think of where Saul's soul went the very next day as he was slain in battle. Well, many people today, of course, believe that when you die, that's it. Uh, you just you just cease to exist. And I had someone ask me that question this week because uh, some radio or, or, or Internet preacher was saying that that's what happens. Uh, it's what we call annihilationism. And it's 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 a false teaching. No, the soul does not sleep when we die. Uh, it, it, there is an afterlife. And this passage and, and indeed the entire Bible Uh, teaches us that when we die, we don't cease to exist, and that at death the body perishes, yes, but the soul lives on either in the presence of God in heaven or under the judgment of God in hell. And one particular thing uh, that Samuel mentions in verse 18 is that Saul was being punished because he didn't obey the voice of the Lord and putting to death uh, Amalek, all the... uh, Amalekites and and the king and all the the goods. Uh, This is the original sin that Samuel had rebuked uh, Saul for in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 9 says that Saul spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, although God had commanded him through Samuel the prophet to utterly destroy every living thing. And of course, Saul, uh, uh, you know, Samuel comes to Saul after that, and he hears the bleeding of the sheep, and he sees that Agag, Agag, the king, is still alive, and he says, Saul, you know, and Saul says, Oh, look, I've obeyed the Lord. No, you haven't. (laughs) You only partially obeyed the Lord. That's not obedience. And he says, To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, because he had said, I've kept these animals alive so I can sacrifice them to the Lord. No, no, to obey is better than sacrifice. And then in 1 Samuel 15, 23, uh, we find this statement. Interesting, you know, that he said for to Samuel said to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And so. Uh, most of us in this room have not, I hope, resorted to witchcraft or sorcery. Perhaps we have read, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, our astrological, um, something from an astrologer based upon whatever supposed sign we're under. I think I would definitely advise against that, but probably we've all been curious in that kind of small way. But, uh, but this is a reminder to us that w- the real issue is... The commandments of God, are we, by grace, uh, obeying the Lord's commands, seeking to obey his commandments? Rebellion and disobedience 
or like witchcraft or like idolatry. You say, I'm not an idolater. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not into uh, spiritism or, or, or psychics. Well, are you rebelling against the Lord? Are you disobeying his word in a clear area? And you know it. Um, the, the issue is, you see, apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we would keep going down, down, down like Saul did. Uh, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, and rebellion leads to such things. Um, it reminds me of the Nazis in, um, toward the end of World War II. Uh, they, uh, you know, it was known that, that Hitler and, and uh, Goebbels and others, uh, the leaders of the Nazis, that they, they too looked uh, to these spiritists and to communicate for them uh, from you know, somewhere, some realm, to, to, to tell them what's going to happen. And, uh, and sadly, of course, they, they fell. Uh, well, rightly, they fell. But um, here's a situation. Saul is rejected by God. And you and I need to understand that apart from the grace of God, this is what we deserve. We deserve to be rejected. We have disobeyed. We have uh, not heeded his word. And if it wasn't for his love and for his mercy in coming to die in our place, we would be enveloped by the darkness of our own hearts. You see, the Lord Jesus, when he went to the cross, what did he do? He descended into darkness he became sin for us. And the whole earth was dark at midday, remember, for three hours to, to symbolize that, the, the darkness that was enveloping him. And, and so Saul, he was forsaken by God, but Jesus was forsaken, not for his own sins, but for ours. He entered the darkness of condemnation that we might enter the light of not being condemned and being set free. Saul was cursed by God. Jesus took the curse for us. He became a curse for us on the cross. And on the cross, he descended into the darkness of hell itself. He was buried in a dark tomb. But on the third day, he rose again in the resurrection, glorious light of that resurrection. And, and so Saul's story is a very bleak story. There was no hope for him at all. And he never repented of his sin. He didn't seek the Lord before he died, as far as we know. And Second Peter 2.21 warns us and all who would follow Saul's path. Peter said it would have been better for them, people like Saul, not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So Saul's story is a very bleak story, but yours and mine don't have to be. That's the good news. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You think, well, maybe, maybe I have done some really awful things. Maybe I have consulted a medium even. It's possible. Or, or done something worse. But seek the Lord while he may be found. He will abundantly pardon your sins if you turn from them unto Jesus. Saul's story ends with him in a state of utter exhaustion. No strength left in him. No hope left in him. And so this woman prepares this, this fine meal for him and, and his two servants. And they together convince him 
uh, to eat, to have strength to go on his way. Verse 25, so she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, rose, and went away that night. So this was Saul's last supper, if you will. And if we think to the New Testament and the last supper, there was one like Saul present at that supper. That was Judas. And so Judas also ate the last supper, and it says, and he went out into the night. He went out to betray the Lord. Well, let me ask you, as you come, you and I come to the Lord's table, uh, are you weary and heavy laden with sin? Are you exhausted by the world and its temptations? Well, Christ has prepared a meal for believers to give us strength. As we turn from our sins, as we come to him in this meal, we have the bread and the cup representing his body and blood. We come to the Lord's table by faith and we feed on him and our souls are nourished, ready to be uh, to go out into battle. But unlike Saul and the Israelites who were defeated, you and I can go into the world, which every day of our lives is a battle and we can win. The battle we can overcome because the Bible tells us in Romans 8 we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Quite a different picture. This is not a bleak picture. This is a confident picture. Come to Jesus. Come to him with your sins. Be cleansed of your sins and then seek him and his strength and you will conquer in his name. In summary, as we as we reflect on this passage, what are the main lessons to take away? First, we see a man uh, who fell deeper and deeper into sin over time. That should be a deterrent. If Saul's life does not, is not a deterrent for us to not sin, to not countenance sin, to not go down the road of sin, to turn around immediately, I don't know what is. Because sin has consequences. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Secondly, we can't we learn that we can't neglect God's word and expect God's blessing. If we won't listen to the word, okay, it's one thing to read it. I'm not talking about just reading it every day, but are you heeding what that word says? We need to listen to what it says, not just hear it only, but be doers of the word. And Saul didn't listen to the word, he didn't heed it, and things went downhill from there. Thirdly, we must make sure that we ourselves have truly been born of God, that we have a new heart. Now that's something that, of course, only God can do for us. But uh, as we we look at Saul's life overall, most commentators, and I would conclude as well, that Saul never had a heart that was truly changed by the grace of God. And he never was born of of the Spirit of God. You see, the only way that you can overcome sin and and follow Christ in obedience is first to make sure that you have a new heart, that you've been born from above. And then if you do, if you know that, that Christ has changed your life, changed your heart, then do what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. All true change begins with heart change. And all uh, maintenance of the Christian life begins with maintenance of the heart. And the last thing we learn from this sad chapter of Scripture is that there is no hope. There is no purpose. There is no direction in this world apart from God. It's only uh, The only other source is 
literally the devil. Remember that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let Saul's life be a reminder that you and I need to abide in Christ and have his words abide in us. And so we need to commit ourselves to walking a narrow path. Yes, Jesus said it is a narrow way that leads to life. Uh, we will not be able to do everything the world does, and we shouldn't. And, and I'll close with, with a few verses from the end of Proverbs chapter 4. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or, turn, or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. And then I think of Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how you and I are going to avoid the pitfalls that happened in Saul's life. I'm going to ask the elders now to come forward.